Hello, everybody. Today I'm talking to Emily Sims. Emily, I believe, is a contract vet, obviously right in the middle of this COVID virus, as we all are. I'm presently living on a farm with her partner and her beautiful, beautiful golden retriever, Elsa. A very warm welcome, Emily. Hello. You're so very, very welcome. So, Emily, I'd love you, if you would, to just tell us a little bit about uh, how COVID is affecting you as a vet, the sort of veterinary work that you're involved in, and then maybe give us a peek into the world of veterinary surgeries at this time and how they are performing and how, most importantly, they're keeping to the very stringent guidelines. So welcome, Emily. Tell us all about yourself. <laughs> Thank you, Tiggy. Well, as you said, I am a vet in Somerset. Um, I have only been practicing with small animals, which is pets. So I've never tried my hand at farm vetting or equine vetting. I worked for six years at a very local practice, sort of heart of community type care. And then I gave that up about a year ago to, like you said, provide sort of independent locuming veterinary work to a variety of practices, which has kind of allowed me to experience a lot of different places. That was, I guess, poorly timed on my part because obviously with covid that's meant that I am not currently working, which has, I guess, been a blessing and a curse. The blessing being that I've had a lot of lovely time to enjoy our gorgeous Somerset countryside with, as you said, my dog Elsa. And then I guess the downside to that is that, you know, obviously we're, we're well, I'm stuck in the house with Sam, my partner, and also not working at all. I have got a few days booked um, in the coming weeks, so it'd be interesting to see kind of how things are progressing in terms of a adapting to the COVID situation. The last few shifts that I did several weeks ago, there were already, you know, severe changes to how everybody was operating, not not just us vets. Yeah, indeed. And and obviously everybody has had to just completely change every way they work. But when we were having a, a little chat before we pressed the record button, you were telling me, because obviously, you know, as a pet owner, I, I should just say that one of the reasons that you and I met was through guide dogs, because you very kindly were running the London Marathon or working to be doing the London Marathon on behalf of guide dogs. But you still did the run, didn't you? And you still kindly gave the money to, to guide dogs. And that that's really how we first got in contact, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I did. I did a, a Somerset version around locally, which was was gorgeous, but obviously a lot, a lot more solo than I had intended. Tell us then, because I'm fascinated, obviously having my two um, my two dogs at my feet here. How are vet surgeries having to operate now? Under sort of what sort of guidelines can people go with their pet to see a vet? You know, what sort of things are they doing with if if you've got an emergency? How how are things operating in that way? Yeah, well, I guess the, the the real message that we want to make sure that everybody is aware of is that we're all open. You know, there's been no closures of vets. There's obviously huge changes. But for any animal that needs veterinary care that's urgent, there is provisions for that. I guess that's the most important thing to make clear. In terms of what changes have happened, I think most practices are keeping tabs on our governing body, which is the RCBF, who's been providing... Um, what does that stand for, Emily? Oh, sorry. Um, it's the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. Okay. And that's every vet will be a member of the Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons. And they try and provide guidelines for sort of most of what we practice and have kind of stepped up to that with, with the COVID situation in providing 
guidelines and updating those guidelines as to how how we really kind of should and shouldn't be practicing but their their guidelines they've been quite insistent that we we recognize that they are guidelines they're down to individual interpretation if you as an individual don't feel comfortable doing what they've suggested that you know you're not obliged to do that but their yes their guidelines are, are suggesting that we stick mostly to emergencies and then obviously urgent treatments necessary and at the minute unfortunately sacrificing our kind of routine care of patients so no vaccines or kind of routine neutering and operations that could be delayed and we're just kind of keeping an eye on whether they think that that can be lapsed um, and whether they think that there will be sort of significant fall from those guidelines down the road. Emily can I just ask you from your knowledge as a vet has there been any cases of dogs carrying the Covid virus or or carrying it to a human or vice versa? So not to my knowledge, um, there haven't been any cases of dogs specifically being infected with the virus, but we are all treating dogs and, and any pet as something called a fomite, which is where the virus could land on their fur and then be picked up by somebody who then touches that area. So just like a metal surface or a wooden surface or something like that, you could transmit COVID by, you know, sort of touching your pet if you have COVID and then somebody else touching the pet. So we do have to be very careful, um, unfortunately. Does that um, mean then, sorry, Emily, to interrupt, but does that mean if you go out for a walk with your dogs and um, some well-meaning, but, you know, inadvertently comes up and pets your dog while you're out, when you come back, should you be wiping your dog down or taking any precautions? I think the better option is just to not allow your pet to be touched by other people. Okay. Um, I think that's unfortunately the, the harsher and better way of preventing that. I think some people have gone as far as to say if you have COVID and you know that you have COVID or, you know, it's very likely that you have COVID. I think the, the more challenging aspect is what do we do with our cat? Because cats obviously have a lot more freedom and ability to kind of ro- roam around. And I certainly know cats that are owned by one one household and will happily go and, and sit in another household during the day or in the night, something like that. I think the difficulty with that is that you can take that too far and you might say, okay, well, we, we're keeping all of our cats in. But unfortunately, a lot of conditions that we see in cats are down to mental health um, and stress. Um, and so certainly we've seen a rise in mental health and stress, physical conditions in cats since COVID. I think part of that is because their owners are now at home in the day where they'd normally have the place to themselves. So they're having their owners at home is stressing the cat out, is that Absolutely. right? Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, we've seen a huge rise in cases. I never thought there would be a mental health issue in cats because <laughs> their owners were around too much. A dog would love it. I mean, that's very we've got, funny. Yeah, they're very different species, definitely. That's very funny. That's very funny. But on a more serious note, so let's say one of my animals became very unwell would a vet still come out to you are they still allowed to come out to visit you we're still allowed to come out I think it would take a lot more persuading to get a vet to come out to you rather than come to the surgery the way it's working at the minute is that if your pet needs to be seen um, that will be judged by a vet rather than a receptionist you know in normal practice a reception a receptionist is, is in more than experienced to, to assess whether a pet needs sort of basic advice or immediate urgent care or sort of an appointment tomorrow, that type of thing. At the minute, we're sort of leaving that to the individual vet's discretion, usually by an initial quick chat with the owner and then following that maybe a video consult so that we can sort of see the pet in action and, and make a better judgment. 
And then if the pet does need to be seen, it's transferred at the door of the practice rather than the owner coming in. And that really limits the owner being exposed to kind of the surfaces and things that might not have been immediately wiped down. And it it prevents the, the vet from coming into contact with an owner that you just don't know the infection status of. That risk is quite minimal with those kind of precautions. But if you then get a vet to go to somebody else's house, the likelihood is that the disinfection practices aren't going to be anywhere near what would be in a veterinary surgery. You know, a house is not designed to be disinfected. And actually, the risk to that vet is significantly higher. And also, what a vet can do in, in, a, in an owner's home is very, very limited. Um, so but, but you would never leave a, a, an animal to suffer, you know, if a, an animal... Absolutely not. No, no. Not. no. You know, our, our, primary, our primary sort of ethos is always to make sure that animals aren't suffering. But like I said, there's not a whole lot that we can do at home to provide care. There's certainly a lot more that we can do in a vet and if you couple that with actually the risk to that vet and those people it doesn't make a lot of sense for the vet to come to the person unless there's a real reason you know maybe they can't drive maybe they've got no transport so it'd have to be kind of situational dependent really sure and and Emily I know that that you're a small animal practice vet primarily but obviously you know a little bit because of some of your colleagues you were saying earlier you know for people you train with who are big animal vets I don't know what the word is sorry farm <laughs> animal is that farm what? vets yeah farm, farm vets. more equine we'd call them big, yeah. anim- big animal vets but yeah farm um, how how is it affecting vets who are working you know on farms what what what's the situation there because you can't social distance when you've got an arm up an animal's <laughs> rear, can you? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's providing us with challenges that we'd never thought we'd have to face. But actually, you know, I've, I've tried my hand at, at uh, rectal care. Um, so and excuse the Generally, it is a two-metre distance. There's not normally somebody right behind you cheering you on. Um, <laughs> you can normally manage that kind of solo yeah I mean I, I know where you're coming from Tiki I as far as I can understand from kind of the chatter on on the the vet scene there's very little change to farm animal practice a because it's food producing so it's kind of integral to to keeping the food chain going and supplying everybody with everything they need and b because actually it is a very independent way of practicing you don't normally have other members of staff helping you out you don't normally need help from the farmers that are there is actually more likely to be kind of equipment that can help to kind of immobilize the patient or keep them where they need to be so actually it's usually quite unaffected by keeping keeping people away from each other funnily enough i'm going to be talking to um some lovely sheep farmers in in the rodney stoke area to ask them a little bit about how it's affecting lambing because of course sure. farming farming goes on exactly yeah exactly I mean, animals aren't going to wait for anybody, are they? Well, Emily, no. I, I think we've had a, a lovely chat. I want you to know that I would always cheer you on if you had your your hand <laughs> in, in, attached, to, <laughs> attached to a cow. But Emily Sims, thank you so much for talking to Draycott Diaries today. Um, may I wish you safety in your isolation with your partner and your gorgeous dog. And uh, I believe you have some uh, little piglets on the farm that are keeping you endlessly amused. So very I th- entertained, yes. I think you'll be all right for a, for another few weeks. But I but I do hope this lifts and that you can get back to your your normal practice soon, Emily. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've just been listening to Draycott Diaries documentaries, recorded by myself, Tiki Trethowan. The editor was Rob Elliott. 
and music was arranged by Hugh Trethowen. Mm-hmm.